From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. With a compelling perspective on global politics, this is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. Welcome, folks. Welcome back. Welcome back to our program today. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We have a fantastic program lined up for you. As usual, we've got a powerful segment. We're going to be talking about election meddling, election interference, not foreign interference if you're from America. No, interference from within from within the country, domestic interference, uh, the one that uh, everybody should be concerned about, but uh, only a few people are. Uh, We'll talk about that. We're going to bring on to the program a journalist who's written a very provocative piece, but very informative piece on this. Brian Pafel is going to join us in the first hour to talk about uh, the Zuckerberg meta big tech complex. Uh, They're at it again, folks. They're at it again. Everything that you saw in 2020, we warned about this. We warned about this with Mark Crispin Miller multiple times during those segments. Have they fixed all of the problems that were very clear during the 2020 presidential election in the United States and the 2022 midterms uh, where Carrie Lake was robbed of her governorship and so many other down ballot races as well? None of those have been fixed. Not really. Uh, There's a little bit more awareness, but the problems still are there. And big tech meddling in this. We're not talking purely about censorship. We're also talking about actual on-the-ground uh, interference as well. Mark Zuckerberg is pouring a lot of money into this. They want to engineer a certain result uh, in the elections, and the billionaire oligarchy are pouring hundreds of millions in to get the results they want, and they'll do it any way possible. There are no rules for these people. It's all a question of writing out checks. That's really the only constraint there for them. Forget about morals, ethics, forget about constitutional principles, all of that, forget about that. What matters is power. What matters is power and the convergence, the continued convergence of government and corporate interests, but only certain people in government and certain corporate interests. That, friends, is the definition of fascism. And that's what we're dealing with. We'll connect with Brian in the first hour to talk about this very important subject. Of course, we're going to be hitting this pretty hard uh, throughout the year. So expect this show is going to be a good source uh, for information on all of the chicanery going on uh, with the 2024 election. So you can pretty much bank on that. So we're going to get Brian onto the program. The second hour, we're going to be joined by a fantastic commentator, Trish Wood. Uh, He's been on the program before. She's done uh, an amazing uh, amazing range of of commentary and work, especially on the situation in the Middle East. We really appreciate her input. We're going to bring her on to give us some updates on the situation in Gaza. We're going to look at the political scope of this as well. I'm also interested to see about Canada as well, Justin Trudeau backing the genocide uh, of Israel against the native Palestinian population. No surprise there, Trudeau has been exposed as a complete charlatan and a bad apple, really, uh, in terms of political leadership. Sad that uh, the Canadians can't get rid of him. Uh, But some people, well, they managed to embed themselves in politics. Some of these globalist actors, Trudeau is one of them. It's only a question of time, however, before he gets kicked to the curb because his antics are getting more bombastic by the day. Uh, We'll talk about that with uh, Trish Wood as well. And also uh, Christian James, our research assistant for the show, is going to be joining us uh, in the second hour. Talk about the big farmers uh, protests that are 
uh, sweeping across Europe and the world, in fact, and why that pushback is happening. Uh, we'll also talk about this story that emerged this week, uh, the conscription of soldiers in the United Kingdom, in Britain. So Britain claims after it's uh, trimmed down its military, it's done its level best to shrink its military over the last 20 years, and all of a sudden now to fight those Russians, they want to basically grab people, uh, young people, put them in uniform and go throw them into the meat grinder against the Russians in Ukraine. Is that the plan? That's what it sounds like. We'll talk about that with Christian in the second hour. Very disturbing developments, no doubt. Now, you probably heard on the top of the hour news headlines uh, the uh, announcement out of Yemen. That's absolutely confirmed that the Yemenis have had clashes with the U.S. Navy. The, the Yemenis fired multiple ballistic missiles at two U.S. naval vessels, according to the Yemenis Ansar Allah, the government in the capital in Sana'a, according to Ansar Allah. Uh, some of these uh, ballistic missiles were uh, intercepted uh, by anti-missile uh, fire from the ships, but not all of them were intercepted, and they claim there was a direct hit. Now, we're still waiting for a second confirmation as to whether that direct hit was a U.S. military frigate or battleship destroyer, or was that two U.S. commercial vessels that the U.S. Navy was escorting through the Babo Mendeb Straits. But uh, what's important here is that because of this clash, these two commercial ships were for forced to return uh, in back in the direction from which they came. And this would be unprecedented. In other words, when is the last time the United States has ever had a naval clash with any of its hard naval assets? No one has ever dared to shoot them, dared to fire upon them. I don't know how long it's been since that's actually happened. Uh, maybe the USS Cole. Uh, that's arguably a false flag attack, according to honest people that looked at it, attributed to Al-Qaeda. We all know what Al-Qaeda is, uh, at least educated, smart people do. Uh, but anyway, that would have been sort of, you know, uh, pre-9-11, that sort of thing. So 19, uh, 1999, 2000, USS Cole, that would have been the last time, but that, that would have been an asymmetric or, quote, terrorist attack. We're talking about combat on the high seas. So here we have Yemen one of the poorest countries in the world, in the Middle East, uh, is taking on the United States, all of its allies in the coalition of the willing, uh, the Gulf states as well, all these people, on behalf of the Palestinians, they're sanctioning Israel, they're keeping Israeli ships and cargo and anything destined for Israeli ports that they believe is giving aid and comfort uh, to the state of Israel as it commits a genocide in violation of international law, in violation of the Geneva Conventions, in violation of the Genocide Conventions, in violation of multiple UN resolutions, Yemeni saying, we're going to uphold all these international laws and treaties by sanctioning Israel until they stop the genocide in Gaza. Simple, right? The United States has done it many times themselves. They routinely do this. They sanction people and they say, if you don't change your behavior, we're going to continue sanctioning you. We're going to press our thumb down on you. They've even stolen Iranian oil tankers, hijacked them on the high seas with U.S. British military and literally stolen the ship. Uh, this has happened before multiple times. So this is uh, what Yemen is doing. They haven't killed anybody. And yet because they were sanctioning Israel, because they oppose the genocide, the United States, Britain, and a few others, ragtag members of the coalition, have declared war on Yemen and have been bombing them for the last week. So work that one out. How does that one, how does that square? 
with uh, international norms? How does that square with U.S. domestic law? Is there a path for impeachment of Joe Biden over this illegal war on Yemen, totally bypassed Congress, and comes out after the fact and makes some, I don't know, vague sort of allusion to uh, his executive uh, power on this. I mean, this president is, well, he's vacant uh, mentally, cognitively, that's a given, but he's absolutely abandoned any sort of checks and balances. You actually have an old dangerous curmudgeon who is a fascist right now in Washington. And you remember how he was during COVID uh, lying, saying that if we don't get vaccinated, that uh, 250,000 more people are going to die before Christmas. That was in like October of 2021 or something. It's just completely bonkers and insane. So this guy has been gone and vacant from, from the go. Shouldn't even be president, according to many people, uh, if you count the election interference, fraud, meddling, and all the rest of it, which took place in the 2020 elections, which gave us Joe Biden, who we're told was the most popular president in the history of the United States. We're told got more votes than Barack Obama. All these miracles took place and he didn't even campaign, which was uh, another amazing anomaly with Biden. Nonetheless, this is what the world, this is what America is stuck with at the moment. And now he's being used as a vessel a vessel for an entree to World War III. Uh, I think the stakes couldn't be any higher uh, regarding this administration, but will the next administration be any better if it's a Republican administration, if it's a Trump administration? Some people say yes, some people say no. It's up for debate. We're here to moderate that discussion and get all the different views on this when we will do that uh, over the course of this election cycle. But uh, what we're going to look at is this issue of election meddling, of election interference. And our next guest, who will bring on to the stage after the break, Brian Pifel, journalist. Looking forward to this conversation. Mark Zuckerberg at it again. Zucker boxes is only the beginning, the suppression, the censorship. It's all on the menu for big tech, for the oligarch class. We'll talk about that, break all that down, and more with Brian Pafel in the next segment. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. You are listening and watching TNT. Today's news talk. We'll be right back. TNT's Kate Shimarani. I'm of the, the belief that your body can totally, 100% heal itself. If you remove the offending things and you flood your body with what it needs. What do your dogs and your kids do when they get sick? They lie down and sleep, don't they? They don't want to eat. They get great big temperatures and they just want to rest. What, do you think you're a special special snowflake? You're any different? No, that's you as well. But what do they want to do when you go to the hospital? I've seen it firsthand in the last couple of weeks. They're just going to serve you rubbish food, wheat, sugar, dairy, animal protein, tea and coffee, fluoridated, fluoridated, bromine, water, drugs, pharmaceutical petroleum-based drugs. Kate Shamarani on today's News Talk TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. 
our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Our next steps to space. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to TNT, Today's News Talk. Patrick Henningsen, your host here. Uh, we are streaming out live on the audio and video streams uh, on multiple platforms. Some of you are watching us on YouTube right now. We're also streaming out live on X Twitter as well. Uh, we're going to restream that on our feed at uh, 21 Wire right now. So you'll be able to see us there as well as hearing us on the various platforms, which you normally do. So appreciate your listenership as well as your viewership, everybody in the TNT chat community whether you're listening or watching you want to be in the tnt chat bar that's where the action is during the program we got a great community in there we got some great people sharing opposition research mems uh dropping truth bombs uh, there's a few debates going on as well we got a ver variety of views in the tnt chat community that's why it's vibrant and we love everybody in there thank you guys for keeping it alive uh there during the program appreciate you now uh, we're going to go uh switch gears right now back to the united states we're going to talk about about that all-important issue of the 2024 elections and election interference, election meddling. But I'm not talking about foreign interference in this case. We are talking about domestic interference, meddling, which we saw plenty of in the 2020 election. Anybody who's honest looking at that whole Farrago can tell you there was just plenty there. Uh, it was so much, in fact, that it was impossible to adjudicate uh, before the, you know, the time between the when the polls closed and then the, the, the month that followed counting votes, which was insane. Uh, and then the swearing in of the next president, there just wasn't enough time to adjudicate that. And I think the nefarious uh, forces behind the scenes have factored that in as well. This is one of the uh, uh, chess matches that's being played now uh, with every election cycle. Unbelievable. Let's break some of this down, though. I want to welcome onto the program uh, independent journalist Brian Pafels joining us on the line right now. Brian has uh, penned a very provocative yet informative article here, which uh, we've retweeted as well. It's up on our at uh, 21 wire feed right now, just above the show post and the live stream from TNT. The headline reads as such Meta's Facebook lists, uh, quote, voting rights and elections position on LinkedIn. So I want to welcome Brian Pafel right now into the program. Brian, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Patrick. So, Brian, uh, we're a little concerned here uh, by the headline in your article, uh, which is up on uh, nationalfile.com. Uh, Brian, the headline basically uh, portends that a lot of these problems that we all saw and we knew were a problem in the 2020 election and the midterms in 2022. These things have not been addressed. These have not been fixed. And the same actors who have been pouring uh, fortunes into getting the results they want 
they're at it again in the 2024 election. Walk us through this story. This is fascinating. Well, I think the the first thing to note is that since 2016, uh, Meta has uh, spent uh, $20 billion on elections. So, uh, I mean, even on their website, uh, it explicitly states that social media plays a significant part in the election process. Um, but in regards to this specific job, uh, it's a software development position, but they want you to have a legal background. They want you to have a JD. Um, it is uh, to work with um, a strategy with uh, nonprofits and other advocacy groups. Uh, they also state that its intended purpose is to limit uh, voter suppression uh, that is targeted against um, what they say as historically marginalized communities. Um, and they're hoping, as they say, to uh, secure a democratic election. But I, I think we can kind of, you know, read between the lines here and see that they're going to be doing some sort of suppression. Um, they're going to be doing boosting of what they deem is correct and moral. I mean, it even says in their report, uh, they want to amplify the good and minimize or mitigate the bad. Um, there, there's just so much here that really exposes it. But I think people, uh, when, when they think of Facebook, they kind of disregard it, especially people that are very, very uh, politically invested. They look at X as being, you know, the, the, the core of the political discourse. But we got to remember uh, the demographics that are primarily using uh, meta platforms. I mean, just just prefer fit for Facebook. Uh, it's the majority is 25 to 34. And then uh, it, it bounces back up uh, with uh, the boomer generation. So uh, it shouldn't be discounted. It, it truly shouldn't, even though you don't use the platform and you don't think it has this much influence. It's going to have a significant influence. I mean, it's just it's just so evident uh, on, you know, what they have on their website and what they list about, you know, the discourse, um, you know, fact checking. It's just so much. Uh, it's really unbelievable. And I, I could dive further into it there. <laughs> it's unreal. Uh, I, I don't know what to say in regards to this. I, I don't think big tech should be interfering in these elections. And at this point, uh, Meta is perfectly fine with it. And they, they even say that this is a reality. This is going to be the future of, uh, of how elections are. So, so let's let's just put the shoe on the other foot, uh, uh, Brian. Uh, suppose this suppose Truth Social had the same market had the same market share as as Facebook, or or let's say Trump bought uh, a, a platform that or or a, a leading uh, MAGA uh, figure had bought a platform that had the same. Uh, reach and the same sort of user base as Facebook or Instagram. Uh, and they would, they were running ads like this and they were pumping money into, you know, putting drop boxes out and so forth, ballot harvesting, all of this stuff that Mark Zuckerberg uh, was involved in, in 2020. And you know what the media reaction would be. Um, this story would be like, 
Woodward and Bernstein Watergate. Sparks would fly. Uh, it would be a national outrage. People would say, this is a major threat to our democracy, and we need to protect our democracy. So clearly, Brian, th there's a partisan angle to this. Um, there's a partisan angle, but there's also kind of a globalist technocracy angle, too. Because this position that they're advertising for, Brian, it just sounds like it, it's something straight out of the technocrats' handbook, where you have this merger of certain government interests and certain corporate interests. But that, that to me, is one of the most frightening things about this, all, all with the veneer of protecting our democracy. Uh, what, what do you think? I, I think that is, you know, definitely the case. Um, I, I know uh, corporate media doesn't take uh, um, independent journalists seriously. Uh, I tried to prop this story up to several corporate media outlets, and, you know, I, I didn't get much of a response. Um, I, I'm not really surprised. Uh, but, you know... I would like to add that Facebook, well, Meta in general, Meta has uh, has significant influence over our uh, local elected officials. I mean, uh, they even note on their website that they, since 2020, they have sent over 540 million notifications for politicians. Uh, also, they have uh, other techniques. Um, they have one in which they 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 call it um changing the perception of an issue um so politicians i i would guess that they would they would verify all this stuff and you know if a, if a right-wing uh individual were to you know try to uh you know smoothen out uh what they said or uh, a policy position i think they would deny it um and most of the nonprofits. And the fact checkers that are going to be in play on Meta's platform are left wing. Uh, I mean, they're, they're using the international uh, fact checking network, which is, uh, I think it's owned by uh, Pointer. And if we know about mm -hmm. Pointer, they operate with uh, PolitiFact and they have, uh, they, they blacklisted several cons conservative outlets. I think the Free Beacon, uh, Washington Examiner. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just so evident and it's in our face and there really isn't much we can do. So, so let, let, let's look at what, what they, what Mark Zuckerberg meta, what they have done. And, and, and by the way, the censorship on Instagram and the, Instagram is a very popular platform. There's a lot of politics on there, or at least there was, um, it's definitely on par with TikTok in terms of, you know, virality of the content on there. But so you've got basic suppression of speech. You've got flagging of certain types of content, uh, on a part along partisan lines. In other words, suppressing conservative or right-wing content, uh, and then boosting, uh, uh, Democrat and left-wing or progressive content. So that's pretty clear that happens. I'm a victim of this. I'm sure you are. And many people, you know, um, uh, Brian as well, even though I don't, I'm not like, a, I don't wave the conservative flag. Um, but I've been sort of, you know, uh, labeled by these, the, whatever the mechanisms are behind the scenes that manage what content's visible and not. So that you've got that, the censorship aspect and the suppression aspect. So Zuckerberg's actually uh, putting money on the ground. Uh, 
uh, targeting key precincts in key swing states, sucker boxes for drop boxes. You, you've got pretty much legal ballot harvesting uh, in some of these states. They're taking full advantage of that with huge ground teams. So you've got that level of interference, that level of uh, meddling from big tech. It's just unbelievable. But then Google is the biggest search engine in the world. It's 90, 95% of all searches go through Google. And uh, I think it was Dr. Robert Epstein's done some great da data analysis on this. They're sending election reminders out only to Democrats and not Republicans on election day. He said that had a potential swing of, I think, uh, if I'm reading his data correctly, between 7 and 15%. That's proven. So, I mean, th these companies all seem to be working um, in lockstep. And despite the fact, Brian, that, you know, half their user base um, probably do not approve or support um, the the active measures that they're doing uh, in elections. So, I mean, I, I, I'm reading this here. I have to read this ad uh, that you posted in your article. Uh, at Meta, we have a responsibility uh, to everyone who uses our services to amplify the good and mitigate the harm, to make sure that people are safe on Meta. What are they talking about, Brian? I mean, safe from ideas, safe from exposure to certain candidates. Uh, it's hard to work this out, but there's definitely an intention here. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, there there certainly is a uh, suppression of uh, people that are more on the right. Um, I, I would argue even moderates at this point. Um, uh, they they put a lot of different claims. They say that they're trying to disrupt um, foreign interference and um, covert influence that's domestic, which we know is, uh, you know, a lot of nonsense. Let's be frank. Um, and they also tout that they've designated uh, 700 hate groups and 400 uh, so-called white supremacist organizations. So uh, this is, uh, it's just remarkable. We, we, we know that this stuff is just not true, uh, you know, when it comes down to the reality of it, uh, to have that many, that many uh, hate groups, especially 400 white supremacist organizations. That's ridiculous. What, where are they, uh, uh, how are they able to quantify that? How are they able to actually uh, empirically, you know, uh, show that these groups have this identitarian uh, viewpoint. It's really, you know, uh, people that are, for instance, um, people that are want to secure the borders for the United States, they will label them as racist, white supremacists. And I, I think that's how that they would categorize this stuff. And I think that's how they'll do, they'll do it with the, the politicians. And we know that almost every right-wing politician wants to secure the border. So they're going to be de-boosted, they're going to be flagged. Um, and they've also talked about uh, using something that's similar to community notes. Uh, I know that they're going to use it on threads, but if you go on threads, it's just a completely lost platform. Um, <laughs> it's just yeah. all left-wing. You, you're a right-winger, you go on there, you get demolished. It's all identity politics. I mean, I, I wouldn't even bother with that platform. But Facebook is something different, um, you know. 
Uh, and if they, especially, I, I would say, uh, especially to the boomer generation, uh, they, they utilize it tremendously, tremendously. And if they see something and it's being, you know, propped up by uh, Meta, then they're probably going to believe it. They're not going to question the narrative. I mean, they're a generation that has been uh, born through corporate media. Uh, television was their big thing of getting information. They don't question it. Um, you could show them the facts on your own, but it's just not enough. You know what's interesting about this, um, Brian, uh, if you look at the Twitter files, um, and that's a very useful exposure, uh, some of the things were exposed there, and you looked at the amount of um, FBI, CIA, NSA, DHS employees that were embedded at Twitter under Jack Dorsey. Some of them might still remain under Musk. It's it's unclear how, how well they purged all these people, but they didn't do this purge. There was no Facebook files. There was no YouTube files. There was no Google files or LinkedIn files. In other words, um, we, we have a very strong indication based on the independent journalists that exposed a lot in the Twitter files that there are quite a few uh, FBI, CIA, NSA, former, former, quote, former employees at Meta. So they're in charge of policing Facebook and Instagram content, censorship, suppression, profiling, all the rest of it, uh, and YouTube as well, and Google. Massive censorship operations there. Literally open back door into these big tech firms from these agencies, and then through the Global Engagement Center uh, and some of these fake NGOs they've constructed uh, to help out uh, with the job, Stanford, uh, I think, Internet Observatory is one of them, uh, headed by the former CTO, I think, from Facebook, Alex Stamos. Um, so they've really spread out and diversified and created this this whole sort of machine. And then they, they work with NGOs like the Southern Poverty Law Center, the ADL, who you've covered before, the Ban the ADL uh, uh, hashtag campaign, which you we, we spoke about on this program before. And you can kind of see here, uh, Brian, how this is constructed. So the ADL do blacklists. They profile. They profile people. The Southern Poverty Law Center create, like, red, I, was, I was put in a category called the Red-Brown Alliance because I opposed the U.S. Uh, dirty war in Syria. That made me a fascist according to the Southern Poverty Law Center and their, their sort of investigators. And I got put on this long blacklist where they say it's a communist and fascist coalition. They called it the Red-Brown Alliance. They literally invented it. And myself and a bunch of other people are on it, fairly centrist on many issues. But anyway, they didn't like our foreign policy. Is it, Brian, there's a connection here with government policies, with big state policies, and, a, and, a, and a, a, they're coalescing with these NGOs, and then they're working with big tech. It, it, it's one sort of uh, self-feeding system, and it seems to be uh, very active, um, although it's been exposed. So I'm, I'm, I think that's where some of those lists, those long, extensive, exhaustive lists you're talking about, Brian, come from, from some of these organizations. We just found out this week that, indeed, the Biden administration has been using the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, to provide it with all of those profiling of domestic hate or domestic extremists. So uh, it's absolutely incredible, especially in light of what's happening now 
uh, in in Gaza. We can talk about Elon Musk in a minute, but I don't know if you've come across any of these or have anything to say about the ADL um, and their role in some of this as a, as a sort of actor and also the Southern Poverty Law Center. Well, I despise both groups, but uh, I would say that um, I, I know that the Southern Poverty Law Center is definitely working with Meta. Um, they have some sort of contract in place at this point. Uh, the ADL, I haven't really seen too much, but I wouldn't be surprised that they're not involved. Um, I mean, uh, there, there's, I think the thing is, uh, on the right, we do not invest in these NGOs like the left does. And I think that is, uh, that's a big thing. And maybe that's because of uh, media perception and how it can be relayed to the public. Because a lot of people don't understand this stuff. When you, uh, when you throw at them like an extremist list, they think it's, uh, it's 100% factual and they don't think it's politically motivated. But um, there's another aspect to it that we need to uh, address, and that's the financial aspect. And we know, you know, you were just discussing before about Google. I mean, they, they have tremendous wealth. We know that. Uh, but there is also another trend that I've noticed. Uh, when Elon Musk took over, uh, the Tesla stock started to drop. And within the year, uh, it dropped, uh, I think, around $40 maybe 42, 41-ish. 40, and you see the inverse with Meta platforms. Meta went up $45 this year. So I think uh, it's, it's a little bit of the, well, a lot to do with the funding, um, awareness, uh, also having those nonprofits that will, you know, uh, will, will embolden these lists and put them out there. I mean, there, there aren't any uh, right-wing NGOs that have lists, hate lists. It's only the left. And they know that they can use those hate lists to basically, uh, you know, put someone uh, down a notch uh, or maybe uh, disenfranchise them from uh, career opportunities, uh, you know, banking, Etc. Uh, there's just so much that they can do just by putting you on that list. Um, and that's why I think a lot of conservatives are afraid to stand up against these things and speak up. Uh, like I know a lot of people from corporate media um, that, that will acknowledge the things that I write about and they'll say that they're true, but they won't repost it on Twitter. They won't talk about it because they know there, there will be consequences. And I think that's what separates, you know, corporate media from the independent journalists. And I think right now we're seeing a, a surge in independent journalism that is revealing a lot. And, you know, I think it's remarkable. I think it's a very good thing. And I think, you know, uh, corporate media will eventually fade out, uh, on the right at least, from what I'm seeing, but on the left, I, I don't know, maybe it's something different. Um, I just, it's just not the same. Uh, the ideology has something uh, big in, in play with it. And then obviously the identity politics that the left uses. I mean, I'll say just on threads, I don't go on there a lot. 
and my my whole feed is about you know race gender uh sexuality and i'm just like where did this come from i'm not looking up this stuff and it's all you know the left-wing talking points so this stuff is being boosted and i'm sure it's going to be heavily boosted uh right before the election yeah that's a good point uh you know how this is going to look uh in the run-up to the 2024 election i want to talk about a few more aspects of this with our guest investigative journalist brian papel we're talking about the 2024 election domestic interference domestic meddling by some of the richest people on the planet uh what does this entail we've got some more uh, to delve into this after the break i'm patrick henningson your host this is tnt today's news talk we'll be right back sometimes a car comes along that changes everything with innovations never thought possible and features that make you wonder how did people survive without this this is that time and this is that car this is the world's first VWB. Equipped with transparent doors to eliminate reasonable suspicion, whatever that means. A 10 and 2 steering wheel that keeps hands visible at all times. We remove the glove box so there's no confusion about what the driver is reaching for. With a touch of a button, the ultrasonic biometric scanner displays the license and registration of the driver to ensure contactless exchange of information. With no trunk, nothing can be concealed, so therefore, there is nothing to search and seize. To ensure you will never be mistaken for breaking the speed limit, we've installed limited edition airless tires, and we remove the engine because, honestly, why risk it? DWB, the first vehicle of its kind, where the safety feature is the car itself. like to feel alone but it just takes one new connection want to get out of here to empower many this is unbelievable it doesn't take a superhero to bring forces together we all have the power to reach out let's go and help someone feel like they belong pretty cool huh we are stronger together you're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. We're in the final segment here, the first hour. Uh, we're joined by investigative journalist Brian Fail. Joining us right now, talking about a piece uh, which he's recently written, exposing some of the exploits of Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, Meta, and big tech in general, and how the uh, plans are set for another round of meddling in the 2024 election, exactly like we saw uh, in 2020, and exactly like we saw in the 2022 midterms as well. Certainly, I can speak for the state of Arizona. Uh, Carrie Lake and others down ballot were robbed of their offices according to most people who've looked at this seriously and the evidence is pretty overwhelming uh so in other words we're going to have to do another round of this madness again in 2024 uh brian
Seinfeld. Thank you for rejoining us. Now, um, let's talk about, uh, we talked about Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube, uh, an absolute cesspit of censorship and partisan politics and all sorts of other not so great things. Um, how about Twitter, which has now been rebranded as X? So Elon Musk is going to play a central role in this story coming up. And a lot of people, Brian, are sitting on the sidelines wondering, what is that role going to be? Is he going to capitulate to the pressure from government, from the intelligence services, uh, from advertisers? Because clearly this is already happening. Uh, so t tell, I want to, I want to hear what you think about the genesis of Elon from the start with the ban, the ADL hashtag controversy, because that's when things started getting interesting. Go ahead, Brian. Uh, well, with ban the ADL, um, we had more uh, dissonance, dissonance and uh, nationalists that were speaking up and they were able to uh, garner an audience and actually uh, speak to Elon Musk. And Elon Musk was becoming more aware of these issues. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the, I guess you could call them the establishment. They don't, they don't want us to question the state religion of America. And there is a state religion. I mean, it's, it's undeniable. Uh, it is Zionism. I don't, I don't think that would be controversial to even say. I mean, they always say our greatest ally is Israel. I don't think it's Israel. I think it's the UK. I think it's Britain. Um, I mean, there's just, just history to show it. Uh, but I, I think, you know, there's, there's another aspect to it as well that chimes in uh, with uh, America becoming less Christian and more focused on these type of uh, ideologies. Um, for instance, I think most people in America, when they think of the most evil entity that uh, that has ever been or, um, you know, exists, they automatically go to Hitler. And as Christians, I'm a Catholic myself, we look at the devil. That's that's the worst. So I, I think a lot of this stems from that, that influence. Um, and, and we know that uh, Jewish people uh, hold uh, significant uh, power in this country, and uh, they have two routes there. They have two routes. They, they got the, uh, the secular Zionism, which I think I can appreciate because the Jewish people don't really have uh, a state or a country of their own. But then there's the religion part as well. Um, so I, I think it's just they're trying to maintain that as much as uh, possible, especially after Elon Musk started to agree with dissidents and agree uh, that there was significant influence here. Um, but, you know, uh, when it comes to this stuff, when, when you're labeled as an anti-Semite, you're demolished. You don't have a career. I think that's, that, that's even considered worse than a racist at this point. And I mm -hmm. think Elon just, he just couldn't handle it. I mean, he's the richest man in the world and he couldn't match them. He couldn't. So that's what the, uh, that's when the pressure it. came. The pressure came direct to his, to his business model. 
they're going after ADL, going after advertisers, and basically saying there's a proliferation of hate speech on X Twitter. And Elon saying, hold on, at the, I remember when this happened, he's saying, hold on, I've got the stats here, we've got the data, there's not, there's actually a reduction. So like, but he, they're threatening to destroy and blow up his business model by put, by brigading and putting pressure on all these advertisers. And they've really stepped that up um, as well and really targeting certain accounts, demonetizing them, making sure that they can't make money off the content uh, and so forth. So it is very aggressive. And he also sued, uh, said he was suing Media Matters. I don't know how that lawsuit's going. Uh, David Brock and co. Uh, they're, they're part of this story as well, Brian. Um, that sort of George Soros-funded wing there of this sort of NGO complex uh, that you mentioned before. Um, so, and the Israeli lobby are also kind of looming over there. That's that They're, they're in the picture. That That's some real hard power in Washington, uh, well-financed as well. Uh, they'll act like a little bit of additional muscle, I think, uh, when you're getting up to the congressional and Senate level there. So there's, there is, look, arguably a lot of pressure on Musk. The question is, What's he going to do about the pressure that is coming to censor and suppress election interference or content that's dangerous to our democracy or undermining confidence in our institutions? You've heard all these tropes uh, from the previous uh, elections. How is he going to fare? What, how do you see this playing out? I know you've, you've sort of reported, written a lot on the dynamics of the ideas around um, these political issues and, and, and Musk himself. Go ahead, Brian. Well, we have to remember that uh, Trump isn't on X right now. Uh, he's not utilizing it. Um, I personally think that they will try to prop up um, uh, a, a pro-Israel candidate at, at this point, which we know is uh, very much so uh, Nikki Haley, which is possibly why she comes up in my feed all the time and I don't even follow her or interact with her. Um, so that's how I see it. But in regards to other aspects of the election, I mean, if, uh, there, there, we know that there's going to be suppression. We know that there's uh, going to be censorship. There's going to be bans. It's going to be a tremendous wave of bans uh, after his visit to Auschwitz. But I, I just don't um, know if it's going to be like a, a left-leaning boost or uh, promotion. I think it's, you know, I, I think the Israel lobby basically has full control over uh, X at this point. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's trying to work with some of these groups. And as per uh, you mentioning about his lawsuits, he said that I'm pretty sure he said that he was going to sue the ADL and nothing became of that. So, you know, when he says these things, I think it's just to kind of hype up the right to make him uh, feel like uh, he's free speech. He's on their side. Uh, and I, I do think he was trying his hardest in the beginning to, to remain neutral. But, you know, let's be honest, the, the Israel lobby is just way too powerful. Uh, they, they will take you to the ground. That's it. Yeah, and you have to be, I mean, with all eyes on him, and obviously he's the most visible account 
now that Trump's not using the platform, Musk is arguably the most visible and followed account, the the one that uh, everybody pays attention to when he quips or makes a tweet and whatever. So like if he puts if he puts a word wrong or something that could be called into question, even if it's a part of a sentence, how it, it literally he will be gang tackled. And he was uh, gang tackled. And then he's had to go do all these struggle sessions on Twitter spaces with like a whole panel of 13 rabbis and a former Israeli president and Ben Shapiro there uh, as the quote moderator. Uh, and then this trip to Auschwitz, which I think was a very uh, uh, political a uh, very political uh, photo opportunity media event, um, really signaling that um, we're we're you know signaling to the Israeli lobby, signaling to the U.S. government, to other governments that we are with Israel. And so, do you think that was a bit of a self-defense move on his part? Because if we do agree that he's under pressure, um, that would be a very pragmatic move by Musk. All these things that we've seen uh, in order to keep the shop open so to speak, or prevent further sort of, you know, flanking attacks by the establishment. Um, is, is that a fair, is that a possibly a fair assessment? I'm not exactly too sure. Um, it might've been just personal for him, but not for the betterment of the platform. Uh, you know, if, if you're being inundated with these accusations, um, it can be too much, uh, even even for the richest man in the world. Um, I, th th that's just the reality of it. Um, I, I, I think if, you know, I think things would be a little bit different if Trump was on the platform. Uh, in that case, then I think that there would be a, a lot more deboosting de on the right. But I think it's going to be more targeted on uh, the America First groups, the nationalists, um, and they're going to be labeled, obviously, as put on lists and labeled as hate groups, et cetera. I think that's the real target. Um, uh, as for, you know, uh, propping up the left, I, I don't see that being priority on X. Um, but who knows? It could be different. Uh, Trump could go back on the platform and you know, these these NGOs could start going after him, saying that uh, go, going after Elon, saying that he's saying hate speech, etc. But, you know, it's all up in the air. We don't really know yet. Yeah, there's also I'm, I'm going to add to another thing that um, we can, you know, address later at another date. But the, um, there's a lot of uh, PAC money, uh, super PAC money going in to buy um, boosting on these platforms and you can do that if you, you you can put a few hundred thousand dollars in uh and boost content on x put it'll put it right into people's feeds so nikki haley interesting one interesting one so nikki haley uh her her, her turnout in new hampshire it's not all republican voters and we find out this uh, primarypivot.org interesting organization here uh learn how to vote for your state's Republican primary or caucus. This is a, definitely a Democrat uh, organization. Uh, so it's about people temporarily changing your party affiliation during the primaries uh, and vote uh, in your state's Republican primary or caucus for the remaining candidate challenging Trump for the Republican nomination, Nikki Haley. 
That's primarypivot.org. So this is like tactical voting on steroids, Brian. And it's like a symptom of, I think, what you're talking, this 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 chronic um, syndrome that America is suffering from now with all the money going into this. They're literally weaponizing every single loophole and aspect of the election, the media, social media, to the point where I don't know how, if this was a closed Republican primary in New Hampshire and you couldn't do this temporary tactical switch, what would the re, what would have been the vote? I think it would have been 70, 70, 30, maybe in New Hampshire. That's what some pollsters were saying, like uh, other who've been talking about this last couple of days. This is insane. So we might see more of this. Who knows? But it is kind of scary, uh, Brian, because the Democrats also, they just basically deep six the whole Democrat primary. They're having writing campaigns for Biden because they didn't want anybody else to run against him. That's basically what they did. So like what all this tradition in America, we have primaries. Now all of a sudden we don't have primaries. What's next? Electoral college. Are they going to go for that as well? Uh, your final thoughts on, on, on this 2024 election, Brian? Well, let's be honest. Uh, both parties do not uh, represent their constituency. I mean, just out here in Long Island, um, the GOP is backing a Democrat uh, to run for uh, a district in Nassau County. And the only reason is because she's a staunch Zionist. Uh, she's former IDF. I mean, like both parties are the same. They are the same. It's just that, you know, there's they, 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 they want to have this constant struggle session to kind of uh, have us look at that and not the reality of what's going on here. And if you do question the reality of what's going on here, you're going to be labeled. You're going to be put on lists, et cetera, blacklisted. You know, that's it. So, you know, th that's why it's no surprise to me that uh, that they're trying to do that with Nikki Haley. Um, I mean, she is, you know, uh, a firm uh, establishment politician. But it's like, who represents us at this point? Well, in terms of Haley, uh, it's it's the defense, the military industrial complex, uh, 100 um, percent. The same with Mike Pompeo, who is another sort of uh, kind of artificially inflated uh, character who basically that is that is literally the reincarnation of Dick Cheney right there. So he will be presented as a vice presidential candidate to Trump as well, even though he kind of stabbed Trump in the back, they will present him or Haley or one of these people uh, to, to as the as the deal to Trump. Probably a lot of people believe that that's the deal Trump's going to be given. You take our VP and our cabinet, and you can go through Donald. Go ahead, we'll let you through, but under these conditions, kind of like uh, very similar to how Citibank basically picked Obama's cabinet. Uh, when that information was uh, revealed at the time, that shocked a lot of people because Obama was seen as a kind of populist left-wing uh, candidate. But uh, when in fact it was Wall Street that was absolutely backing uh, Barack Obama uh, into the presidency, it really speaks to what you said, Brian. Both parties are not representing the interests of the American people, sadly. Brian Fail, thank you very much. For joining us on TNT this week, and I want to point as well. Give a shout out to where people can find your work. 
Uh, BrianFail.com. Uh, I also have a Substack on there. You can follow me on Twitter. Just search Brian Fail. Uh, it's all on there. Uh, I got a lot of great work, uh, and I hope you can read it and enjoy it. That's it. Uh, we've tagged as well at 21Wire. You'll see Brian's article at the top there. Follow him on X Twitter and every other platform where he is writing and posting. Brian, thank you. And thank you also to our viewers for the first hour. We're going to have more coming up after the break. Trish Wood, Christian James. We're going to go to Gaza. We're going to go to the farmers' protests in Europe. Looking forward to that. So stay right there. We'll be back in a few.